episode number 224 with Alexander Fitzgerald. Welcome to the Heads Up Poker Podcast. This is Steve Barton. This is Mike Snyderman. Yes, sir. Alex Fitzgerald. (laughs) Dragged into hell, kicking and screaming. Uh, How are you, my friend? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Good, good, good. Well, we got Alex on again. Okay. Last time he was on. What is this this cocksucker selling? It's like he's in the season, isn't it? (laughs) He's got a free gift, actually. Uh, oh, okay. at the end of the show yeah it's a free uh three-hour training pack uh i have not seen this one so i'm super excited uh, okay but, uh, yeah we'll see we'll see but um yeah um so how was uh how was your first month of, did you already do your marathon i'm sorry steve i don't uh no i have it coming up um when uh march 8th so oh, okay wow that's in like that's in about a month. Okay. <laughs> it's coming up. <laughs> I think you were, you were bumping up in mileage as you went along. Your last time I spoke to you, we did like, what, 14 miles? Is that? I did 16. And okay. uh, maybe not the last time we talked, but uh, the furthest I've gone now is 16. And um, that was a bitch. Uh, I just did a race. Um, I did a 10K race, which is only 6.2. But... I increased my time by 20 minutes from the last time I did it like eight months ago. So I am getting faster. Um, but, uh, yeah, the distance part, man, is just brutal. I've got a 20 mile run coming up, I think in the next week or so. And, uh, I'm pretty nervous. (laughs) It's it's no joke. (laughs) It is no joke. Not that nervous. I'm sure you're still taking action on your bet, right? Have you you got any action? Oh, no, I haven't. I, nobody's Nobody uh, bets against Barton. Not even <laughs> to the show, for God's sakes. Maybe I'm just a little, uh, uh, but I, I don't know. Under five hours, I mean, anything could happen. And, uh, but we'll see. From checking out your Twitter, I saw you had a nice, uh, nice score. Oh yes, I did the Super Football. Bowl. That yeah. was the most fun game I've ever watched in my life. It, uh, I, I had, uh, I was at an interesting point in that football tournament. So I was at a point where the Super Bowl is worth 10 points and you got to pick KC minus one and a half, or you got to pick, um, uh, San Francisco plus one and a half. And so talking with my brother, I was on the phone with Mark Aliotto for like an hour yesterday and, uh, or on Sunday. And, um, because if I took third, I, I was either going to get third or eighth depending on the point value and the movement, what everyone picked, you know, third okay. place was worth 6,530. So 6,530 and eighth was worth 1,600. Okay. So I was asking Mark, I'm like, do I, you know, put some money on San Francisco and, um, you know, risk my, you know, lower my upside, but up my, um, my floor, you know, so put, you know, I could essentially bet it to even, you know what I mean? So that no matter what happens in the game, I went four grand. Um, You're free rolling. Yeah, exactly. And Mark was like, yeah, you got to put some money on the other side. He's like, take your payday, you know, just take the money. And he's like, I'm in a similar situation because he put 300 on San Francisco as a future uh, to win the Super Bowl. 
and uh, that paid 10K <laughs> come Super Bowl Sunday, right? And he's yeah. like, I put 3,500 on Kansas City because like, I got to get paid something, you know? And he's like, it's, and he saw this one is just a straight up coin flip. He's like, after all the analytics and everything, just flip a coin and see the heads or tails. And to flip a coin on having like nothing on one side and so much on the other, you, uh, you got to spread it out. So, so I, how, uh, how much should you lay off on the, on the, on the 49ers there? I was going to use some um, do Bovada, but I only had 250 bucks on there. My buddy, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to use this, this 250 bucks. Like a couple of weeks ago, my buddy made a bunch of uh, futures bets and stuff. He paid me cash to do it. Of course, none of them hit. Uh, so I didn't have anything on there. And I was talking to Mark and he's like, you can throw some Bitcoin on there. And I'm like, okay, it's like already noon. The game starts at 3.30 and I've got all my Bitcoin on a ledger, which I'll have to transfer over to Coinbase, which I'll have to transfer over to Bovada. And any of those transactions can take anywhere from 15 minutes to three hours, depending on how long the traffic is going. I'm like, I can't do this. So I drove up to my buddy's uh, place in Santa Barbara and we had, we watched the Super Bowl at a cigar shop there. And the guy's girlfriend runs, uh, her dad runs a bookie. So I was able to, I pulled out all the cash I could in the ATM, which was a grand. And um, I had a couple hundred other dollars and um, I gave her 1150 to win one grand on um, San Francisco, like 10 minutes before the game started. It was kind of funny too, because when I was handing her over a thousand dollars, she's all right, cool. Well, good luck on your bet with San Francisco. I'm all actually, this is going to sound pretty jacked up, but I'm going to be rooting for Kansas city the whole time. Right. <laughs> she's like, what? <laughs> Why did you just hand me a grand? So <laughs> like, I probably would have handed you more if I could, but the ATM would only give me a thousand dollars. It felt kind of strange. I did feel kind of like a baller though, betting, uh, betting a grand and then rooting for the other side. I've never had because the swing it, it put me at uh, fifty three eighty if um, if Kansas City won and twenty six hundred if um, uh, San Francisco won. So I had like three k on this game. It was I've never had that much money in a sports bet before. I think the most I bet is like two hundred dollars on the Super Bowl, and I really don't have any idea what I'm doing. You know, so I just figure it. Uh, you know, I'm doing this for fun. And but this one, it was like wow. This is, I mean, every play, I didn't miss a single play. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, you were so involved in the game. I think it, this may be how you feel like when you're throwing dice or something. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it's every, oh, it's third and six. Oh, dang, they almost had an extra half a yard. Like, it, it, it's just so, oh, man, there was no feeling like it. It was fun. Spending your time watching a sporting event where you didn't give a shit who won, that sounds like fun to me, Steve. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was cool though. It was cool. But um, um what else? I got oh, it. my brother got first in that tournament. I don't remember if I, uh, and he pulled it off. Um, last week of the playoffs after the first game. After that, he had so many points, no one could catch him. <laughs> so the kid did quite well. One ten boys are just are just killing it. Uh, one ten grand. Yeah, that that was a fun tournament. He's got, your brother should be like, shouldn't he be entering like 20 of these, like hustling around and seeing every league he can get into? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I kind of want to do an episode like you know. with him and Mark and, um, you know, see if Mark can see something into this, um, you know, how we can improve it. I mean, first and third is pretty fucking good, but um, sure. It, uh, you know, Mark has the mind where he could see something that, that the two of us are not, you know, 
and make it even better. Or maybe he knows where more of these exist. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was it? I had something to talk yeah. about. Now How about you? Understand. How you been? Uh, last month was good with poker. Finally, nice. had, finally had one of those. I mean, right as I was near the edge, broke, calling my brother, saying, if I don't have a good weekend, I need you to pay my rent pretty much. Yeah. As bad as it gets. And, of course, I have like a 25K upswing between the last week or two of December and January. So Good for you. Good for you. Keeps me alive right temporarily anyways. We'll see. We'll see how things go from here. Have you lowered your hours per week a little bit? Yeah, I still played a lot of hours last month. I want to say I played like 240 or something like that. What, what, would you be able to just do 200? I mean, even 200 is a lot, dude. That's like 50 hours a week. Uh, no. No? Uh, unlikely. I mean, I guess if I was running good, I could like take the last. That's kind of what I did. I was started, I had a good run here, so I haven't played. Didn't play Sunday, didn't play yesterday, and I'm not going to play today. Okay, good. You're taking a break. But then the days I will play, Thursday I'll show up at you know 9 in the morning and possibly stay a little whenever. Hopefully I'll stop at three, take an hour in my car, then go out. You know, so that's kind of it. It, it feels still like I have plenty of leisure time. It, it feels like <laughs> I have plenty of time when I'm sitting watching a movie or walking on the beach or I mean, you know. Okay. okay. I haven't. Actually, this kind of comes to that, Steve. <laughs> One of my other things I want to do this year is I used to read like a lot. Yeah, 50, 60, 70. I think one year I might have even read 100 books here. I can't remember. Wow, that's impressive. But like the last couple of years is like four or five. Um, who knows why that is? You get older, you just, you're like, why am I reading this? This is just entertainment. I'm not sure. But uh, this year I told myself I'm reading 48. 48 books? 48 books. That isn't really that many. Four a month. Yeah, now, why did you pick the number 48 and not? Uh... Four a month. Oh, Okay. There's, tw- there's 12 right. months. I knew there had to be some kind of logic behind it. <laughs> it's like, why did he pick 50? Unfortunately, I mean, that sounds incredible. That's, yeah. The only way you can count that high, Steve, is if you had eight hands. So, I mean, you'll have to just take my word for it. Okay. Yeah, I, I was already counting through my toes, and I was like, I just uh, don't have enough here. Uh, we'll see. I already fell short. Three books in the first month. I thought I'd share what they are, not to be certain. Uh, one of them I thought you'd find pretty interesting. Okay. I read Helter Skelter, the Manson Murders, which is like considered like the true crime classic of classics. Interesting. Listen by the guy who, who prosecuted him. So I really didn't know too much about that. Um, that was pretty interesting. I like cult-like activity too, of course. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> naturally. I, I feel if I was person. if I was a little more vo- motivated, Steve, not only would I w- be a World Series of Poker champion, I think I'd also have a nice cult going. To be honest with you. <laughs> Then um, I read the book Obsession by John Douglas, who is the guy who um, he interviewed and studied Manson quite a bit. Okay. Like, he was an FBI profiler. And this actually wasn't about Manson. It's about other stuff. It's about, um, I don't know, the FBI is like, do you know, there's like seven different kinds of rapists. Like when they're looking, looking for someone, you might find it interesting. I don't know. It's like uh, the gentleman rapist. The, you know, I mean, it's just kind of. <laughs> really? yeah. Well, the gentleman rapist is just, he, he's going after a woman he really wants to have sex with, but he's, he's trying not to brutalize her. He's trying to have her feel pleasure. Yeah. Still, okay. Obviously it's uh, but anyways, he breaks down all there. There's like different kidnappers and different, you know, all this. Interesting. Specific- I do like those shows on Netflix and this guy, I think they have like a, a little series on um, Netflix about him. Uh, he was an FBI profiler that went around in one of the episodes he interviewed uh, Manson and he did like, 
um oh yeah yeah mind hunter yeah mind hunter yeah you've seen it okay he wrote a book called mind hunter i read that too okay oh and the the other in my last book of murder and mayhem this month uh this one i might even find to the last stone it's called uh but two girls were murdered in washington dc back in the like the 70s and they had nothing you know, every every ten years, the cold case unit would pick it up. No DNA, no nothing, no physical evidence to hold on. And then some detective, like you know, forty years, it was going back through the files and read this interview of this guy who went in and reported something. But he was a young guy and he was stoned, and some of the details weren't right, so they just ignored it. And this <laughs> guy went back and talked to this guy. Went and looked it up, and this guy was in in um, prison for raping a child. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the true crime book where you're trying to catch, but it's also, it's really, it was almost 300 pages of one long how to interrogate, how to get someone to admit guilt. Because hmm. basically, if this guy loved talking, but he thought he was smarter than him, and he could keep just telling stories, they never figure anything out. Yeah. But uh, if this guy just said, I want a lawyer, they never, nothing would have ever happened. <laughs> but he, he wanted to talk. And at the beginning, it's like, no, I don't know anything about this. And then by the end, it's like, um yeah i kidnapped her and i'll tell i got rid of the body but you know i didn't i didn't do this that or that so there were there were a lot was uncertain but they had enough on him where he had that you know second yeah. first degree murder and went to prison but it was like i know you say you like to play games it was really was kind of the good cop bad cop and how you uh you know you break someone down and, and what was this one called the last stone the last stone all the little interrogation, like, you know, he would, uh, you'd make sure he was there for an hour and had to wait for you. Yeah. You know, I don't know, all sorts of, all sorts of stupid little shit, but I get them like, you know. Uh, Anyways, we, uh. Cool. Well, that's a good, uh, that's a good. Um, we'll see. Good goal, Mikey. Um, but uh, should we, uh, should we bring in Alex? Sure. All righty. Take a quick break. Alexander Fitzgerald. Alexander Fitzgerald, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Last time you were on was uh, about this time last year, episode 200. Was it really that long ago? (laughs) January 25th is what the timestamp says on mine. Damn. Yeah, just a little bit over a year. How how you been? Last time I saw you, we're in in New York. Uh, You got to see my drunken fireman buddies. Yeah, I've been good, man. How you been? I've been good. I've been good. I've been good. The football's over, so it's a little bittersweet, but uh, it was a good season. Um, what else have I been doing? Yeah, I guess I'm going to have to shift my focus from sports betting back to uh, back to poker. You're going to have to. Are you not going to bet the XFL? That's not an interest for you? I wouldn't even know how to bet that if my life <laughs> depended on it. <laughs> right. I know. Everybody keeps saying football season isn't over, and it's like, no, it's over. Like, XFL doesn't count. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not interested in watching guys run around in an arena. <laughs> right, right. So, right on. Um, yeah, so um, you... Uh, I have you, a question. Go for it. What the fuck are you doing with your life? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, once again, my research for this, team, I did watch the video that Alex sent me. Thank you. But then I, I look at his Facebook and I get, I get tired after like 30 seconds. If you look <laughs> in, the, in the last three months, the guy has been to Versailles and he's been to Camden, New Jersey. And you look, <laughs> you look, 
equally as happy in both, I'd like to say. <laughs> that, that sentence has never been said in the history of man. This man has been to Camden, New Jersey. No, how did you put it? This man has been to Versailles and, and Camden, New Jersey. Yes, sir. I've been pretty happy. I, uh, I, I, I got a good routine here now. I'm pretty, pretty happy with my life. Good. Uh, it just, uh, how is the, can we ask about the lady there? I mean, she'll laugh about it. No worries. Uh, you guys have been together for a while now, right? Is this, I can't remember your divorce is like, th- you've been together for like three years, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. A few years, man. Yeah. It's been a little while. Yeah. I mean, uh, isn't it time to uh, get a ring on her before she realizes she can do better or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah probably, yeah. I've, uh, I've kept it going long enough. I should probably get moving. So it's, uh, everybody else hints at that. But, yeah, no, just given how happy I am, that logically seems like it'd be coming up. I didn't know that was going to be what you were going to ask. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, actually, I want to, you know, uh, of course, all these little adventures you go on, you, your lady seems to be right next to you. Yes, sir. Does she, uh, I mean, does she, I'm sure she liked Paris, but does she like that as much as she likes uh, Voodoo Donut, whatever the fuck that is? <laughs> I, I look at all your pictures and I, you always tag them. Yeah, man. You got to let people know where they are. You don't know what Voodoo Donuts is? Have you never been to Portland? No, what is it? Oh, but it's, it's amazing, man. You go to this, uh, it's this donut shop that's been in Portland since Christ was a corporal and you go in there and... You get like the the maple bars with bacon on it and just a hundred different little creations. And they got the grunge music real loud and, uh, you know, homeless people yelling at you to give the full experience. It's a, it's a trip. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's good times. So so you went to the ballet. Whose idea was that? Uh, I I bet you can guess that one, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) it was, uh, you know, it's fun. I'm cultured like that now. No, it was fun to, uh, it's fun to check out. It's fun to do different things. That, that's one of those things about poker. They always say that if you ask 100 poker players, why did they do this? They'll all say for the freedom. And then you kind of get to a certain point where you go, well, all I'm doing is working all the time. I'm working every Friday night. I'm working every Saturday. I'm working every Sunday. So I've actually grown an appetite for like, let's do the cheesy stuff, right? Like, let's go to the ballet. I mean, I probably won't be in new york forever so why not i want to see what this looks like and uh yeah you know the nutcracker was interesting it uh i'm a little amazed how they can do all of that but yeah i did not get as much out of it as my girlfriend got out of it yeah. <laughs> later on you did <laughs> <laughs> i saw there is a it looks like there's a, a battle rap in staten island fairly recently uh, yeah man i went and saw the source perform the guy i battled against but yeah i didn't battle i uh i just haven't had time it's been so uh when you live in costa rica it's like having monopoly money like a full uh, a full dinner costs like two bucks sure yeah. <laughs> if you're renting a three-bedroom house it's like i'm not making this up i had an acre of property a three-bedroom house internet this was a cabin up in the woods just a view of the foothills, clean water, uh, it, the most beautiful running path you've ever been on. I was paying $300 a month for that house and everybody was telling me, you got ripped off. You could have gotten it for 200. And then 
you come back to the United States and it's just like, God, I got to get working, man. Everything is pricey here. And then you got to start giving a third of your income to the government. Whereas when you're abroad, you obviously right. have the ex- exemptions. You're not, you're not pawning jewelry for, uh, for a donut quite yet, but you know, no, no. do that to you. Not quite yet. That's why everybody looks so damn desperate out here, man. Everybody's going crazy. So is, did the, uh, did the rap battle get your juices flowing? Like, Oh, I got to get back into this. Actually not really because those guys are just so much better than I could ever hope to be there. It's, it's amazing. They'll have like the junior level guy out there can freestyle every single round and is putting things together. I never thought of, I was like, man, like this, this is brutal. New York does not play when it comes to battle rap. If you go out to those smaller mar- markets, obviously, uh, I could teach a- a- either of you guys to smoke half these kids, but like this, uh, New York's a different ball game, man. These kids come out to fight. You said three words. You said three words, and someone bought you a bus ticket to Bismarck. Said you're ruining this whole fucking scene, man. <laughs> yeah, right. go, go where you can handle it. Yeah, exactly. You get it. <laughs> I, uh, um, I I played cards with uh, Peter Morris um, last month. I think it was. And uh, at the uh, at the win, and he was talking about that, doing his battles and stuff. He's got some gig where he's going out to Europe somewhere. They're paying for his whole trip, giving him like three grand, and they were afraid that wasn't enough. He's like, "This is amazing! <laughs> a free vacation for a week, and you pay me to do twenty minutes of work. I'm done." <laughs> he always appreciates it too. That's one of those guys that genuinely just likes writing, just likes preparing. He, my God, dude, he goes out to this biker bar it looked like in Staten Island. He doesn't know any of the kids there or any of that. He shows up, 20 minutes later, he just tears, he just destroys everything as far as how good it is, right? Has the entire crowd laughing their ass off when he does a joke, has the entire crowd leaning in when he's doing something a little more harrowing. That guy's got it going on, man. That was. I traveled an hour and a half to get out to Staten Island just to see that guy perform. And it was worth every second of getting out there. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. You ever talked to him about his, uh, I know you're into like Steve, you're not just like to learn things. You're like a student of how other people learn. Did you ever ask his, do you know his method? I mean, does he sit in a, does he have a special room where he raps or he needs total silence or something like that? An album he likes to listen to to get, I mean, these are the questions to ask him. I'm just curious if you kind of know some of that stuff. You're asking me or Steve? I could actually tell you a few of the things he does. Uh, I, I have no I'm fucking clue. You. Go ahead, Alex. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, one of the things he does, if you pay attention to his battles, that's really interesting. Uh, the, biggest, uh, the biggest thing that screws up most battle rappers is they'll be between stanzas and they can't remember what the next concept is. And that leads to the most awful thing you'll ever go through as a performer, which is choking in front of 200, 300 people. And you'll notice what he does is he'll rhyme one word in the last part of one concept to the first word in the next concept. That way he can always remember the word that rhymes and that'll lead him to the next concept. And that's why he has an impeccable track record. He might literally have 200 battles across 10, 20 different countries. And I think he has one choke out of all of them, or two, maybe, right? And the one time he did, it was one of those, he flew 12 hours, showed up and had to rap. And it's like, yeah, okay, 
I imagine that would be pretty difficult for anyone. But that's one of the things he does that's really interesting. The other thing that's super interesting is I've seen that guy before in numerous battles. He always says, I'm as ready as I'm ever going to be. Most people never get over the, I, I don't even know if he'd call it stage fright, maybe the excitement that comes, uh, or like a Donny Osmond or Barbara Streisand, they still get jacked up before they have to go perform. I know completely different genres, but everybody gets jacked up before they got to go perform in any arena. So the whole idea that you're just not going to be anxious, excited, whatever word you want to call it for being up in your head a little bit, that's never going to go. You just have to work with it. And if you watch him before he performs, he really does work with it because you'll see him just repeat it, repeat the battle to himself again and again, go off, be alone by himself to get the words right. And then that's what leads to those astounding performances. He definitely is always the most calm and collected one on the stage. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I belong here. Listen, I don't need to do any, like, hype up the crowd kind of shit. Just listen to me because this is, this is on, on, the, on the top dog here. You know? Yes, sir. The Godfather doesn't have to do anything. Probably doesn't even have to introduce himself anymore. Everybody knows who he is. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, yeah, it's funny. I don't know. Did you see the latest Dave Chappelle show on Netflix? Oh, I did. It was <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> he's a genius but all i can think is watching that is like how many times does he have to do it to make it like this perfect and you know he knows exactly every word like where he's going to be looking in the crowd every expression it's like uh it is it's just fun to see like a a genius at work i guess oh yeah i i've been actually thinking about is that the best stand-up special i've ever seen in my life i keep thinking that a lot because something i noticed if you go back and watch it you don't really know his stance on any issue. He, he's just making fun of all of us. If you pay attention, left, right, center, he hits everybody. And you can't really tell what his positions are. Now, if you do a little Googling, you'll find, okay, he, he's a practicing Muslim. He probably has some affiliations. or He probably has some beliefs that run a f- little bit more conservative. But if you actually just take him if you actually just look at what he's saying, he gets everybody in this time in society. And uh, what was that one? Uh, The Anthony Bourdain joke might've been the funniest joke I've ever heard in my entire life. It was so brutal, but so good. Uh, That was, (laughs) I I, watched this one. (laughs) You haven't seen it? Uh Uh-uh. Oh my God, you would really love it, man. It's uh, (laughs) the best comedy pulls a mirror to everybody and just shows us what we don't want to admit about ourselves. And it's flawless. It's absolutely flawless. You'll, you'll see exactly uh, what we're talking about. Okay. But it's also, he, he's, he's reached a point of such fame and comfort with the audience. And I was like, the, 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 the best line or how he sets up the whole thing was, I'm going to do an imitation. See if you can guess who it is. He's like, you do anything wrong in your life. And he's like, that's you. That's what it sounds like to me. And so basically it's all, a lot of it is about kind of. Yeah. He starts his set. He starts his set insulting his fan base and gets away with it. That's how good he is. That, that does not seem like it would go over well at most comedy clubs, but he's just, he's so good. And the point is so salient and so true. It really sticks. And yeah, 
I, I guess we should talk a little bit of cards, although it's fun talking battle rap in Chappelle. <laughs> yeah, it is a poker uh, podcast. I was going to switch. You know, I was just telling Steve a couple. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was just telling Steve of a couple. Uh, you know, I like like the true crime shows, the murder and mayhem. I'm kind of easy to, sh- easy, not easy to shock. Yeah. But, but I watched your video and there was on the bottom right screen was something that terrified me. <laughs> what? Two what? words were written. Sassanato University. <laughs> <laughs> if that's not the goddamn end of Western civilization, I don't know what is. <laughs> I quickly, I quickly turned it off and ran to put on a documentary about about serial killers. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, if you think about it. The serial killers are the the serial killers are the deities in our society now. You think Aaron Hernandez jersey doesn't cost $500 on eBay right now? Women aren't swooning for yeah. him watching that Netflix special. Like, I could have straightened him out. I would have known what to do, right? <laughs> it's, it's so funny. Like, you can't, uh, you can't become infamous, really, in America. If you look at, like, what people cover, like, oh, the Ted Bundy special. Like, oh, he was a good-looking killer. Let's look at him. I've watched a lot of the true crime stuff, too on Netflix. I enjoy it immensely. But at the same time, sometimes I'm sitting around, I go, what the hell am I watching? Like, why do they deify these people? Yeah, yeah. There's got to be something deep and dark in everyone's subconscious or or, uh, Dexter and programs like that would never be so successful. Because universally, everyone likes them. I don't know why. There's There's something morbid about us there. It's the same thing. If you think about like football or boxing, it's like, what is boxing? Well, these two guys are going to put gloves on and they're going to beat the crap out of each other. And you know, that's all it is. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's a sport that's been around 3,000 years. And it's, uh, they have had boxers die this year, not a boxer, multiple boxers. That's just a gladiator game. That's yeah. a fight to death. And we still watch it. I still watch it. I love it. Yeah. But that's something... Uh, you're right. It's just something that's in our blood. And you look at football, that's just essentially warrior games. My tribe is going to take this pelt to the other side of the field and we're right. going to stamp it down in your ground, right? Yep. Like yep. A Mar- if a Martian was looking down at us, he would go, oh, that's like the mating ritual of the males. Like this is their dance, what they're doing. They slam their heads against each other. But anyways, I di- digress. That's an interesting point. I never thought of that like that. You know, that's no different than uh, two bucks sparring or rams uh, clobbering each other. It's the same damn thing. And the cheerleaders dance would be the female mating dance. Like if any Martian was looking down, that's just what they would assume, right? Yeah. Yeah, anywho. The Martians would be wondering what you're doing in Camden, New Jersey, I think, as well. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if they're going to be looking at people so intimately at each individual. (laughs) in philly to play some poker and we went to camden new jersey because they have an aquarium out there and that was actually quite interesting i uh i didn't i'd never really gone to that many aquariums till recently there is it's nice to look at aquatic life it's nice to look at biological organisms right because you just get so into your computer all day when you play poker you forget like man there's got to be real stuff out there i got to take a look at at some point yeah yeah you know, I, um, <clears throat> getting back to, uh, I, uh, doing this show, when I started doing this show, I never realized like how much, um, poker stuff I would get, you know, people kind of send me stuff all the time, books and all that. And, uh, 
uh, I just got a shirt recently and then washed it once and it just completely fell apart. And, you know, so oh, most no. of the stuff I get is just crap. And uh, uh, it's kind of rare that I get something that comes across here that is um, gold. And, um, you know, I, whenever I get any of your stuff, Alex, it's exactly just that. And uh, whatever you put out on Tournament Poker Edge or your books or your videos, it's, uh, uh, I just, I love it. And um, so you got a, uh, you got a three hour uh, training pack uh, for our listeners at the end of the show, right? And oh, this yes, one I uh, have not seen. So I'm pretty excited. What, uh, what's in it? Uh, you flat too much. is just about three betting people. Okay. It's about when, uh, if you've ever been at the table and you're at the cutoff and you have King 10 offsuit and you have the same guy just opening ahead of you constantly and you know there's got to be a way to go back at that guy some way, this video will show you exactly how to do it. It, uh, it talks a lot about online play, too. Okay. Uh, if you want to use the HUD statistics and whatnot, it'll show you exactly what to focus on. But if you don't have the HUD, if you're on one of the anonymous sites or you're playing live, it'll show you a lot of the combinatorics, how to use Flopzilla, how to know what boards they miss, how to know what boards they hit, when to attack, when to back off. It's a lot of stuff like that, reasserting your dominance on the button, on the cutoff. And yeah, it's free. It's like three, four hours long. I forget the official tally, but uh, yeah, you can just check it out. Click on the link. Uh, you got to give us an email address to uh, be able to send you the content. That'll sign you up for my newsletter. So every day you'll get a free podcast, an article, some piece of strategy advice. Uh, but yeah, you can just get the free pack and unsubscribe if you'd like, if you want to do that, if you don't want uh, your email address anywhere, but, uh, yeah. Okay. You can get that by clicking in on the, uh, link in the show notes. We'll put one right down there. Uh, free three hour training pack. And, yes, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Alex. That's cool. I, I may be prepared. I watched a video on mastering small stakes cash games. Is that, is that your latest video or is this that, an old one I saw? That is the latest video. Oh, that okay. Is, okay. Yeah. That, that one's 13 hours long. That one's a slightly bigger hike. Yes, that that was really good, man. Uh, I got through it, um, and I want to go through it again. It um, uh, took me a little over a month because there was a lot of stuff there. But you're just hammering, hammering, hammering the fundamentals. Yes, sir. Know? Yes, sir. And it uh, it was very, very good. No, I'm glad you appreciated that. I, I try to. I find something poker coaches do, and I'm not immune to this. Is sometimes we really like to focus on little details. Because that's how poker players think, right? It's like, oh, look at this little detail. That means I should do that. Or look at this little detail. But that's kind of, if you're teaching somebody poker, that shouldn't be the first lesson, the second lesson, the third lesson. That should be like the 208th lesson if you're doing the small details, right? Yeah. It's like teaching cooking and you're, uh, you're focusing on the garnish, like in the first lesson, right? You should start with the recipe. What should you preheat the oven to? What are the ingredients lists? Like how, what techniques you're going to need? And I really, I'm glad you appreciate it. It's just the fundamentals. Because once you know the fundamentals in 100 big blind uh, cash game poker, it's a much more simple game. Did you feel like it made a whole lot more sense once you were done with the videos? Yeah, it did. It Good. Did. No, I'm happy it to was, hear that. Uh, it was very good. And you have a lot of examples in there. You know, you're like... All right, Turbo, you're sitting down right here. You're at a 2-5 uh, game. You've got 100 big blinds. Uh, this is the action. What do you do? you got 20 seconds. And it really makes you feel like 
you're sitting at the table there. You know, you can imagine the kid in the hoodie with the earphones on that you describe on the button and you're in the small blind or whatever, plug in the scenario. You know what I mean? It, it was, uh, it was cool. He's actually sweating bullets, holding a little towel to his head as he has to <laughs> 20 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm really glad you appreciated that because that's, uh, I, I read something uh, somewhere that if you just tell somebody something, they're going to remember 20 to 50% of it. But if you quiz them on it and actually kind of make them feel a little embarrassed and lost for a second, they're going to remember 80% of it. So I put every single thing in a quiz format because that's how I learned too. Like when I take notes on a training video. That's why you do that. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's, a, it's a little bit of a hack to help people remember things, right? It, and it's fun because you can go back again and again and see how good you get with the answers. But uh, it's the same thing if you're taking notes during a poker video. Just put everything in the form of a question, and then it's going to be in chronological order anyway. Then when you're done, read all the questions, and if you find there's one you can't answer, just go back to that part of the video and watch it again, because apparently that was the part you didn't check out. And then you'll retain 80% of the information, whereas every single one of us has probably watched a training video before bed, and then you remember like none of it you know you remember the first five minutes because you've watched it 20 nights in a row and then you nod off (laughs) (laughs) that's about it right so i I kept doing that when i was starting i figured out i gotta get way better at this so i just googled uh note-taking techniques and that's the one that seems to work the most okay okay where do you get the uh... oh go ahead mike I was just going to say, where did you, you get the idea for doing the cash one? Because it hasn't like 99% of your material previously been tournament stuff. I mean, do you, um, yeah, where do you come up with ideas? Are you, do you, are you like the Dave, the Dave Chappelle, this comedian walks around with a notebook writing jokes? Are you like, <laughs> are you walking around like on the streets, uh, you know, of Paris? Like, oh, small stakes <laughs> cash games. Yeah, like, ooh la la, check it out, the aviation club. But uh, no, I I actually, the way I started, I I used to play tournaments primarily. And then there was one year I had where I realized, hey, tournaments aren't very stable. I got to pick up another skill. And I started playing cash games and I really fell in love with cash. And a lot of the money I made initially was just playing one-two on just weird networks, right? Like essentially, if it was really hard to get the money on and off the site, it was probably softer because a lot of regulars were probably going to give up at some point. Mm-hmm. And there was, a, there was a lot of risk in that too because it, there were definitely times like, you know, I'd have $600 on a site and the site wouldn't give it to me and I just had to write that off or whatever it was. But as the years went by, at most of these tournament stops, I do try to play cash at some point. And the same concepts just keep working, especially live because people never get better. It like, they just don't. Everybody who keeps telling me poker is getting tougher. I'm like, not in the games I'm playing in, not in Philadelphia it is. <laughs> hmm. like, this, uh, now, obviously there are certain places. If you go to San Jose, California, it's getting tough. If you go to LA, it's getting tougher. But if you're in one of the normal, like if you're in one of the newer markets, a lot of people are not getting better. And if you're playing one, two, that's where most people come to punt right? Two, five and above, you will see people get better, but you'll still see a lot of guys come in with 200 bucks because they were going to place a bet on the game and now they just want to play some cards. And the same damn thing works all the time, especially now because it's socially acceptable for people to call 
you can three bet to whatever you want. They're probably not going to fold pre-flop. And if you do that with the right hands, you can play a very conservative strategy and make a ton of money with it. In fact, in that video series, I'm sure you guys saw this as you went through it. I tried to find the tightest player I could find out of my circle of friends. And I found a guy who short stacked his way to uh, six figures. And I said, give me your strategy. And he literally wrote it on the back of a napkin. On a napkin, yes. Yeah, it was literally, he was like, that's it. That's the whole thing. I, <laughs> I swear to you, that's it. And I know the dude and I believe the dude. And it's, it's literally just like suited Broadway's eights plus, ace queen plus is what he, he starts with. And then he alternates it a bit based on the action. And it's not, it, it's not uh, brain surgery. It's people call too much out of position. And you yep. can take advantage of that with short stacks to begin with. And then as you move up to 100x, you can take advantage of that continually if you just learn a couple post-flop tricks. Yeah. Um, isn't it, uh, you're talking about live, I mean, maybe we've, the, isn't online cash gotten really tough though? I mean, I heard like it's, it's tougher to beat one, two online than it is to beat five, 10 live. Oh, hell yeah. It's that, tougher. That's a really good point. Yeah. It, you could, this stuff will work at like 25 NL, 50 NL and hundred NL on softer networks. And especially if you get on the networks, you should be playing on say, if your country's got a lottery website and they have poker on it, that actually, I think Canada has one of those and Sweden has one of those. You can play on that. Or if your sports book has, uh, if your sports book has a poker site or something like that, you will find softer action. You will find softer action as long as the software is atrocious. And that's, the hunt is on now, but it's, it's been liberalized a little bit with uh, Bitcoin because back in the day, there was no way for any of these fly-by-night sites to get money on and off. Yeah. Bitcoin, like they can just set it and forget it. They just automate the whole site. Like practically, they, they've gotten to shave down so many of the employees because they're not working uh, with payment processors like they used to. It's just all Bitcoin. So there's spots out there. You've got to work harder for it. But yeah, if, you go, if you're trying to be one, two on PokerStars, you're, uh, that's not – Technically, I guess that's small stakes, but you're going to be playing with guys who are 24 tabling and are looking at analytics every morning and drinking their coffee and taking their nootropics and you know, <laughs> med- med- meditating and like doing 100 push-ups. And I, I, don't want to, I don't want to play poker with those people. I want to play with drunk people watching hockey, man. That's what I'm looking for. That, that, I love that. Uh, your, 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 your first uh, lessons are uh, pick the right table. Yeah, <laughs> game selection. That's ninety percent of the game. You can yeah, be, right. Yeah, just don't play with players that are better than you. Right, and then we literally talk about how to play the top five percent of hands. Pick the right table. Pick these hands. It's like I could literally leave, and it would be worth the price of admission at that point. <laughs> right. That's it's it sounds uh, unfair, but that's it, a lot of it's private games too. If you can get your ass in a private game, mm-hmm. and I'm not talking. You know, if, if somebody invites you to a private game from a casino, be extremely wary. But if your buddies are programmers at Microsoft and they have a little one-two game going, learn to be one of the boys, right? Go in there, and if they beat you in a pot, you got to clap them on the back and go, nice hand, yeah. right? And remember little details. That's all that, – this is what I've heard. That's all Chipper East used to do is he was just so good with everybody in Vegas. They only wanted to play with him because he'd remember, you know – 
children's birthdays and stuff like that. Again, this is all stuff I heard. I don't know this firsthand. But yeah, once he sadly passed, that was uh, all those games dried up because people didn't want uh, wealthy people do not want to get worked over at a poker table and have it rubbed in their face. If they get to play with a pro who is good at the table and is kind to them and on, on occasion beats them, but still cheers for them when they get one over on them, yeah. they know they're a losing player, just like a lot of people know they're losing in roulette when they play, but they'll, they'll still love the experience so much. They'll keep coming and you got to have that touch, which is really difficult to have. And you got to be able to find the games. I've heard, yeah, people say pretty much what you're saying is that the people long-term who make the most money in poker are the ones who uh, know how to get in, who are, know how to make rich people have fun at the poker table. Yes. It, it's the whole thing. It's yeah. all private games. It's all my buddies who are doing the best. And when I've done the best, a lot of it is private games and it's a lot of it's getting the money out though, which in some of these private games is uh you can also find really soft games where it's not as safe. That's another way you can play. And we've all heard about those games, but I wouldn't recommend that. It's all about, yeah, if you, that's why you got to have a social network that isn't just poker players. It's not a bad thing to keep your day job if your day job gets you meeting people in other industries who might play poker. Everybody plays poker. If you bring up you guys have experienced this. If you guys talk about poker at any party, every guy above the age of like 23 has a poker story. Everybody and their mother apparently played poker for beer money in college, right? Nobody lost in college. They all played for beer money in college, right? Yeah. And all these people play, a lot of them do play poker somewhere. It's just about getting in these games and seeing what you can do with them. And a lot of them have their own this is a new thing. There's private poker software now where mm. a lot of people will use poker software and they'll settle up later. So you can get in private games like that as well. It's a, but a lot of it's schmoozing and that's kind of the art form. Yeah. Yeah. The, your whole section on that, getting into private games, I'm like, you know, that's an aspect that I've never really taken the time to, uh, to master. And, and um, I remember, you know, Tim Kelly from uh, TPE, uh, oh yeah he was telling me he's like that's really like what i do he's all once a week I play private games and he said you know three out of four times it's a winning session yeah exactly because he knows what they're doing yeah you don't have to be the best poker player in the world you just got to be the best guy at your table exactly. and whatever they want to play for is what they want to play for yeah that's it and yeah uh, uh mr kelly's up in canada right yeah a lot of games there it, yeah. there's a lot a lot of games in weird places like alaska not as great an internet as the rest of the country. So what do people have to do all day? Especially you get back from fishing and you got this money burning a hole in your pocket and it's a little while till the bars open. Yeah. There's a lot of weird places games open up, right? And then if you go abroad, you find more op opportunities, but then the danger level uh, goes up, obviously, as a foreigner. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's a big game uh, going on down here. We, I mean, I haven't been invited and I couldn't afford to anyways, but uh, it is interesting. I hear all the details about how you run it and um, how the game goes. And not only do you have to be friends with the uh, – try to be friends with the whales, whoever the – if it's a pro who's running the game, you got to get on his good side too. Oh, yeah. You, gotta, <laughs> you might have to pay a little bit to get in that game. Yeah, exactly, which he's on the take. Whoever that pro is is doing it right, though. That's the whole point. That's the – you look at how well 
a lot of those guys, Doyle Brunson, Chip Reese did back in the day. I, I don't think a whole lot of that was Bobby's room. They were running the games, right? Sure. So, so yeah, that's – if you know that guy, that would be a great guy to be talking with. But, yeah, you probably have to grease the palms knowing how this works. Yeah, I don't know. I got to uh, – gotcha – made me wish I had a nice house with a poker table because I was told how this game works is, I mean, they got food and women and professional dealers. And I mean, it's paradise, but the the way they pay back, there's no, they don't rake the pots, but um, the guy who runs the game gets 10% of all the wins at the end of the night, <laughs> <laughs> which if it's a big game on the probably of the average night, uh, there's going to be seventy-five, a hundred thousand dollars in winnings. What? What is he? Jesus? Are you tithing? Where did he come up with wow. that number? Like, <laughs> like this what? is what I heard. I haven't been there. I, it, uh, <laughs> you got to go check it out now, dude. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I couldn't. I couldn't afford. Uh, I'm having trouble getting money for my these red chip games, Steve. Let alone the uh, yeah. Well, that's the, that's the crazy thing. You'll play like two five in a tougher market, and those guys used to be playing twenty five fifty on stars. You'll get three bet every time you open. And really, the best poker player thing to do is the third time it happens, goes just go. I'm out. Yeah, yeah. I'll find a new table. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I am driving three hours, or in fact, I will up and move to get out of this city. That's it. It's really. It's crazy how different the games are. Like, you're in Washington, D.C., how different the games will be compared to Los Angeles, compared to even just different parts of Las Vegas, just dramatically different games. It's it, The whole art is game selection. And, yeah, the private game part is obviously the sexiest, the one we want to control the most, but it's the most difficult to control. Yeah, yeah I probably should keep be better. I haven't been invited to a couple, like, smaller ones and haven't gone. Oh, you should go. I mean, stupid. Well, I hear one, two, and I'm like, uh, but then, like, you know, my one buddy's trying to get me to his, and he's like, listen, dude, it's one, people are just buying and buying and buying. And Brother, yeah. You, I'm sure, yeah, you could, you're probably hourly in that game, still 50 bucks an hour in a one, two. Game. Oh, but more than that, dude, because yeah. people just keep rebuying. They don't know what they're doing. That's like all I'm after these days. It's just sure. that. You know what I mean? Like one, two sounds like nothing until you show up and everybody has a thousand on the table and they don't understand big bet poker. You should really check that out. You probably crush that uh, with what you guys do normally. Like if you're, if you're hanging in like normal cash games at a casino, that stuff's just like child's play. Right. Anyway. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm justifying. Well, like, well, I can't waste a night. I got to get my rake back. You know, it's here. But <laughs> that's how they get you. <laughs> Sometimes it's a very EV neutral game where all I'm getting really is the rake back. You know what I mean? So right, exactly. Well, and I assume there's no rake at your friend's game, right? Um, I didn't. Uh, the only one ha- uh, home game I did go to, there was a rake. I mean, again, okay. there was a nice food spread and everything like that. Um, so yeah, somehow the house has to get paid. Yeah, but it, because they are investing money, and you know, I mean, they, usually the their guy is always having it just to uh, make a few shekels, obviously. Right, but. right. that's why you gotta. Yeah, if it's a really nice game, that tends to get me suspicious because it's like, wow, they really want me to be here. Why? Right? Cheating yeah. does happen at these games, right? If it looks like something a bunch of high schoolers could have thrown better, that means these guys probably do something else with their day job and their time. Sure. Okay. That's, you know, like the, the case of chip, the one thing you got to make sure it's not like drugstore chips because then obviously that's way too easy to cheat. Somebody could just bring in something else from the drugstore. Right. But yeah, like if they have a good chip set, 
and you're like at a conference table or whatever. I, the, the best one was like playing in the back of a brewery when I was a kid, right? Like that was, everybody there was just to have fun, right? And it wasn't run particularly well. But yeah, I, I get really suspicious when it looks really nice. And then, yeah, you can usually tell with a rake, right? If they're forgetting to take a rake or if they're doing a token rake, they're clearly not doing it for the money. They just want to play. If, sure. if it's uh, 10% of your winnings per se in this dramatic far out world, they're, they're clearly there for the money. Man. If I walk in the door and a, a beautiful woman locks eyes with me, I should immediately just get out probably. <laughs> That's actually a pretty good rule of thumb. Yeah, that's, that happens at a lot of like- Why are people happy to see me? <laughs> Sprint to the car. Yeah, uh, I knew it was all a lie. <laughs> what are all these dumb Barton-esque grins everywhere? No, those aren't normally this many happy people in one place, you know? Oh God. So, um, well, before we go to the specific, so if you had, let's just say back in the day you were running a stable, if you had, you had to hire a bunch of people. You'd probably want them to play live cash. You think, I mean, is that the most profitable thing in poker right now? It's, uh, it, it depends on the rate structure. Yeah, it's the most consistent. It, it, there's a lot of times you will see like smaller markets increase the rake to a point where it's just not feasible to make money. Right. And uh, the, the recreational players don't care because they're not tracking it. And why would the casino even want the pros there? Oftentimes the pros are making the games worse. So yeah, as long as the rake structure is fine though, it's uh, you're fine with it. And uh, it, but I, I remember one time in Uruguay, it was like 5% uncapped or something like that. It was just, uh, yeah. And every, all the recreational players were playing because they didn't understand it. Right. In Budapest, I saw the same thing. It was, you, you, you try to do the math, like how many pots have to happen before all the money is off the table. And it's, it's some astoundingly low amount. They're just <laughs> trying to take, take all of it. But yeah, if you see like a normal reg structure and uh, yeah, that, that's definitely the most stable. Tournaments used to be much juicier than they are now because people just didn't understand push fold and whatnot. And a lot of that stuff, uh, the 30 and 40 big blinds, 30 and 40 big blinds, there's still some tactics you can use, but a lot of them aren't as great. So a lot of the, ironically, a lot of the big edges you get in tournaments is you're using cash game strategies, extremely loose cash game strategies at the beginning of tournaments, and you're establishing a chip advantage that other people are not going to have when they have 30, 40x, and you have 70x. And that means your double barrels, your check raises, your uh, three bets are going to threaten all of their chips. But if you go from 70 big blinds to 60 big blinds, that's not a big deal. That's the big edge you'll find in tournaments these days. But that tends to play itself out more in the slower form of tournaments, which isn't always the most popular at casinos or on the Internet. Sure. So, yeah, yeah so I, I would typically say, yeah, cash would be where it's at. Okay. That's so... Cool. I wrote down the, I don't know if we want to, Steve, if you have any hands, I, I don't, I didn't look it up, but the five biggest rules. Do we want to go that? This is the one video I saw. They're all good. Sometimes a lot of these are pretty obvious, I guess, but only when you hear them. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it should. Do you know what I mean? No, I know what you mean. The more, I, I don't know. The more I feel like 
when you're trying to impress someone, the more likely it is to be BS. You know what I mean? It should be just blatantly obvious once you get it, right? It sure. Smack you over the head, hopefully. Uh, don't pay off the nut peddlers is number one. <laughs> yeah. As I see. seem to do that quite a bit. So there. <laughs> um, I've gotten pretty good with that. That took me a decade. I, <laughs> I finally started tracking it all the time. You know how you do it? You click flat river on your hold of manager filters and just watch the hundreds of times you just, you, it's like, here's a college education, my friend, you need it, right? Like, take, like you're just giving them away all the money. It's like, here's, here's some money for your kids. Here's some money for their private school. Here's something for your wife, you know, get yourself something nice, get a new suit. <laughs> you're just giving it all away. It's so, it's so easy to delude yourself when it's at the end of a six, eight hour session, you're exhausted. But if you just watch them all back to back to back to back to back and you just have some basic rules, you, you'll get away from doing that. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially I'm in a smaller card room at this point. I shouldn't like know a lot of the player <laughs> pool and guys who never, I'm like, Oh, he's turning this into a bluff. Obviously. No. Uh, yep, top he's, set. He's, yep. he's never had <laughs> a misdraw on the river ever. Right. Exactly. But this well, is going to be the one time. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Because it's just so it's just so easy to see that. Well, and the other thing is if you do one bad call, that's your whole session. 20, 30, 40x, that's like what you were trying to make the entire day. If yeah. you think about about it, and yeah, that's the that's the big one. Um, number two, pissing away money with bad C bets. Yes, sir. A lot of people do that. Um yeah, I mean, to really know your CBET strategy, this is, this is a major investment of time, right? I mean, it's, this is going to be a lot of time with Flopzilla. Well, I, you can start with some basics. Yeah, uh, you could look at this for the rest of your life if you really want to get into the solvers and everything and get optimal frequencies. But you can start with some basics that will help you, which is typically if a guy's a little nittier and he called you from an earlier position, you open from, you know, low jack, he calls you from hijack and he's a little bit of a tighter player. Most of that's going to be like big pairs or excuse me, it's going to be big cards in pocket pairs. So if you see a flop with two cards, nine or higher, he has just hit it all the time. Like just all the time he's hit it. He has a pair. Uh, he has a pocket pair. Or he has one of the pairs on the board, right? So that's, that's an obvious one you can start shutting down with, but uh, versus let's say a guy calls you out of the big blind well, he's calling with like 35% of hand. So if the board comes with two cards, nine or higher, you could try a small bet. He's out of position. It, it's very likely he's missed most of the time. But uh, yeah, you could start with just some basics like that. And if you just save a couple C bets per session with what I just said there, that's three and a half X, seven X, nine X every session. And then, yeah, obviously in the videos, we go through a lot more of the common spots. Multi multiply by 2,400 hours and you see right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it all adds up. I mean, I don't know if you could get the. You can't get a general enough rule here, but like you open and the, the difference between one collar and two collars. Oh for, yeah, two, two for collars. for your C bet frequency. I know. I you, there's a couple of hands. I think you kind of touch about this. Um, I don't know. My default. I'm sure it's obviously wrong. Is that I'm always uh, not always, but I'm you. I'm obviously C betting when I think I have the best hand and I want to get called. Mm -hmm. um and if i see bet where i'm bluffing i want to have some back doors Is oh that yeah that's a good start yeah that's really good uh 
Well, the big thing is if you're multi-way, essentially, if you look at the combined time that people will both miss in a multi-way pot, so let's say you have two callers, if the big blind completes, that's a much wider range than, say, cutoff button calls you. Yeah. But anytime you have two callers, generally both of them will miss the board between like 25 to 40% of the time, depending on what the board is, right? So let's give that an average of 33%. Well, if you bet half pot, your bet would need to work about 33% of the time. So should you just be firing with nothing or reverse implied odds? Absolutely not. But if you're doing what you're talking about here, which is firing with some backdoor equity, that, that you can actually work. And you don't have to bet half pot. If they both just bricked, there's a really good chance especially on the high card boards where they don't have any overcards, it's really likely they might fold to like 25% pot or something like that. So if you got some backdoor equity and you think you can get away with a, instead of half pot, maybe 40% pot or something like that, you can start finang, uh, finessing it a little bit like that. But the one thing you don't want to do, which you see a lot of guys do is like raise, get called in three spots, the board comes ace two eight, they have king queen, it's like, oh, that ace hit my range, lead 75% pot. It's like, session's over, the money's gone. Because my, my guess is one of these four guys has an ace, right? If you look at it combinatorically, there's 16 different ways to make an ace X, right? As opposed to four different ways to make a pseudo-connector, for example. So it's a little bit more likely the guy's going to hit one of his big cards, and that most common big card is going to be the ace. So. Yeah, it, with two players, you can finesse some C-bet bluffs. At three, I would just start giving up, right? That's, that's a, a lot of that's going to be like hit the flop and continue poker or hit a lot of backdoor draws on a real hit or miss board and continue poker. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, number three, not three-betting enough. Yes, sir. Uh, I think we know your thoughts on three betting, the beauty of that, <laughs> especially to isolate. Um, I've been kind of on a short roll for a while, so I've been doing like playing pretty nitty here, which I is, which is pr- profitable. There's times though where I'm like, normally I'd, I'd be three betting where I'm just like, okay, let's, I'm in position, you know, let's see a flop kind of shit. Right. Um, probably not optimal thinking. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example where we're not three betting enough here. Would like be ten eight suited on the button to a loose opener or something, or what? What do you? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, even like pocket not. Let's just say someone opens five uh, x early position and you get three callers. Right. Pocket nines. Let's just say pocket nines on the button versus the small blind. How are you playing them different in terms of flat or raise um, bet sizing? Right. You could get away with either. Like a call there is totally fine. And you can definitely squeeze if you know the first guy opens too damn much and all the cold callers call 20. If the first guy's opening 35% of hands and all the other cold callers are some of the special stuff you see on the East Coast, like King 2 suited flatting, 5-8 suited flatting, by all means, raise it up and set up a jam on most boards, right? And if everybody folds their preflop and you just pocket the 20x, that's amazing. That's great. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge deal. But let's say the first guy's on the tighter side. Second guy is a little bit more careful. You know, he's one of the smarter guys in the card room and he cold calls. By all means, just cold call there. Because that's a little, uh, that, that's obviously a little concerning. What worries me 
is when it becomes always call, even in the situations where almost assuredly you have the best hand. And with 100 big blinds, I know this sounds crazy, but that's not a ton of money. Like 200 big blinds, 300 big blind poker, that, that's when it gets really yeah. messy, right? But like you can get 100 big blinds in if you're the dramatic favorite be with one razor and three callers pretty easy or set it up versus wilder players like nothing. And what I get worried about is when sometimes three bet turns into always call because then that puts us in a situation. We tend to do that when we're running bad. And the problem is it puts us in a spot where we have to start hitting flops like all the time in order to continue. Uh, there's not going to be much getting everybody to fold or getting over cards to fold that would have hit the flop or anything of that nature. So that stuff does worry me. If you're on a short roll, I would say short stack. If this, can you buy in for 40, 50 X? Uh, yeah, you can buy it, in for 60 big blinds, I guess would be the cheapest buy. -in. Ah, a little different. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. So, so I, yeah, I guess, well, I think not three betting enough is also like you're calling too many two bets with mediocre hands is probably another way to say it too, right? Yeah, you, you can get away with that if you're a little deeper. Like let's say you're 150X deep and like the whale at the table is 150X deep. If he opens to 2.5X and you have 10, seven suited, you can, op you can make that work if nobody's going to squeeze you. It's a, the problem is when you're down to like 88X and now you're calling everything and the first guy who opens not that wide at all and somebody's squeezing behind you then that three bet becomes the, – the thing about three betting is it's just a clarifier. And until – you know, maybe in 2025, people will learn to semi-bluff more by four betting back at three betters or cold four bet more. But until that time, it, you just get away with so much when you three bet in position to the point it still confuses me that it works so well. I remember when you looked over my analytics, uh, you're like, okay, right here, every time you open, you're making one big blind. Every time you call, you're making half a big blind. And every time you three bet, you're making 2.36. Right, right. What should and you I, be doing, Steve? <laughs> right. And uh, after you look at a thousand databases and you see the same thing, and I, I, I just assumed I was looking at things wrong or something. Like there mm -hmm. must be some trick to this, right? Because it's, it just seems if you three bet in position, people just fold too much to you on the flop. That seems to be the big thing. A lot of people go, let me see if I can hit this flop. Okay, I missed this flop. I'll fold, right? And mm -hmm. something you can do is just highlight their worst hands in the range to make sure they're not making like three big blinds uh, with their best hands. And then the crappy hands they three bet bluff are actually dragging everything down not to make sure, not to look at everything as this big category. But even when you filter for the bluffs, a lot of guys still get away with it. It's, uh, it's out of position where all bets are off. That's the, yeah. if you three bet out of position, like you are not a coward if you get scared of that. Like things can go wrong very rapidly. It just seems that even if you're making mistakes in position three betting, a lot of times it can work out as long as you do the right sizings, which we talk about quite a bit in that pack. Yeah, yeah. Right on. Not isolating raising enough. Oh yeah, That's is a big one. is um trying to not squeezing enough. Yes, sir. Is that what it essentially means? I've had a trouble with this one a lot. Yeah, it's tough. I play. Uh, I'm playing a fair amount of two three with a four hundred cap. Mm -hmm. Maybe ten to twenty percent of my 
I play is it there and the rest is at the red chip. Sometimes I go in and the, the five, two five doesn't begin. But um, it's hard to get heads up in that game. Oh, yeah. Oh, People yeah. just like seeing flops. Oh, yeah. We talked uh, about that. Yeah. Maybe we talked about, like, I'm like, you know, I, I've, I've got a lot of hours logged in with only, only like 13 bucks an hour there. So right. it's not right. Um, I know I've got to maybe start limping early position because, like, when you're only playing 130 big, big blinds, that, again, your SPR can get, if you squeeze and three people call. Well, I would start looking at uh, one of the easiest things to play with in Cardrunner's EV is just jams, pre-flop. And seeing if there's times, like even with shorter stack jams, like you could short buy. And if like they just want to gamble with you, play to that. There's a lot of times if you can only buy in for 60x. Uh, I found a guy that made six figures. Just all he does is sit there for 80 hours a week and just shoves the best hands. And people go, you know what? I hate you doing that. And then they call him. And then they try to fade him, and it, it obviously works sometimes. And then, you know, they clap themselves on the back like they did something. But a lot of the time it doesn't. And if you have that reputation, I'd really look into that short stacking because I'm sure you have a general player's reputation there. Like they've seen you bluff a few times. They've seen you chase. They've seen you do things that they wouldn't attribute to a short stacker. So it might take them a really long time to figure out you're not playing that way anymore. And I really, if, uh, if you, if funds can be, if you're withdrawing money from your poker bankroll lots and you're a little shorter, I, I, I would wonder if that would be a little bit more stable. Now, obviously people not folding to you preflop, you can still make that work. And we show that in the series, or I show that in the series, just with like really huge squeeze amounts. And if everybody folds, that's fine. But a lot of times, you might not get one guy, but you'll get so many guys calling that if you just do it with the best hands, it's pretty much one pair of poker. If you make one pair or retain one pair and you shove, you'll oftentimes get called by a crappier pair and make good money. Now, the problem with this is you want to talk about Variance Mountain. Uh, obviously, I'm sure you're figuring this out with your 13 bucks an hour is I would bet a lot of that's Variance because you're getting a lot of – when people see you got a few big blinds there, they just call with everything and sometimes they run you down, right? Right. Yeah, so that's the Variance. Well, I, yeah, I'm yeah. short-rolled. I, I mean, I can, I can afford this game. It seems – although I got – I'm just thinking what you just described that. There's another casino I was playing at quite a bit. And there's one guy – I usually think of people buying short – they're yeah. definitely recreational or not good. Yeah. And, and in a 1K game, this guy was always buying for five and 600. I was there always when the game began. Mm-hmm. And he would always seem to double up, though. You know, exactly. Because, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then I'd pay attention. I'm like, I mean, he's still, I don't know if he's a pro. He plays too wide, but he also understood like the stack. I mean, if you're three betting, guys just have to fold your three bets a lot when you're playing off 100 big blinds versus right. three. Right. And if you watch, uh, Sometimes you watch cash games on TV when they allow people with like 30, 40 big blinds in. There was a lot of short stack technicians that what would happen is, you know, wealthy businessman opens like he does every pot, two and a half X. A really good pro has 200 big blinds calls, two X, two and a half X, whatever it was, you know, two other guys call. And then short stacker puts in 40 X. And it comes around, well, everybody has a hand good enough to open our call. This guy's loose open, but they don't have a hand for 40X. 
they all fold. You know, if you're playing like 50, 100, like that is a lot of money right there, 8X, 10X. And a lot of times they'll just, you know, like maybe I can get this guy off the table. Did you see that where at some point they're just like, I just want to bust this guy because these all-ins are driving me nuts. And they start calling. I've seen calls with like seven, eight of clubs. And the guy goes, well, I, I hope you're sitting down. I have queens. Uh, good, <laughs> <laughs> good luck to you, right? And uh, that the short stacking stuff, uh, I, I really, I think sometimes when we look at poker strategies, there's uh, – I think the fancy word is called neomania. Like if it's new, it must be great. And the more complicated it is, the more we think it's valuable, right? Like, ooh, this must be like really technical. It must be getting edges I can't even fathom. But I'm really attracted to like, what is the simplest way to make money? I want the dumbest possible way to make money. And I don't care if it makes me look intelligent. I don't care if people cuss me out. And the dumbest, easiest way I've found to make it is short stack. And I played with that a little bit. My buddy has played a lot more with it. And you just see so many guys. Uh, the rat holing. Yeah, it's rat holing. Uh, <laughs> doesn't like some of the websites like find ways to prevent, prevent that? Like if you get in one oh, game, yeah, take a quick sure. hit. Oh, but what you can do is you have your short stack strategy. And then you double up and then you, you would be fine. Just go back to your full stack strategy. Oh, okay. Okay. You got in there for half price. Right. And then nobody that here's the beautiful thing. Your HUD stats will be like 11, nine. And then when you get full stack, maybe you're like 26, 18, but like overall it's going to say 17, 15, which is never what you're playing ever. Like what they're reading is not accurate ever. Right. Uh. Because you, you have two modalities that are on separate sides of the spectrum, your right? Val your value only range when you're short because you're just looking to get right. it out. Right, exactly. And uh, obviously if they have more advanced odds, they're gonna see through that pretty quick, but a lot of guys won't, right? A lot of guys don't have time. They're playing so many tables, they'll look at it. And don't forget, most of the new sites won't allow HUDs. Those don't exist in a lot of sites, right? So they're just gonna see you playing like a net for a really long time and they'll kind of have it in their head, so-and-so's a net. And then you'll open up and they'll be like, oh, I guess he opened up. And then when you come back with a short stack and you can buy in, you, there's no law that says you have to buy in for exactly the minimum. You can make it look like you just lost a couple of pots. Maybe they'll think you got desperate. It's a really fun game to go after people this way. I want to, <laughs> I haven't done it. I want to try it. I see people work the table with it all the time. And oh, until yeah. I saw it in your program, I'm like, oh, well, that's so easy. The guy wrote it on a fucking napkin. I know exactly. It's, uh, it's old school, man. I've been doing this for decades, like not decades, but over a decade. And it's, it's amazing. It still works, right? Especially yeah. live poker because everybody just goes to punt. But yeah, if you buy in full stack, you got to like, you can still make money. And we talk about that in the program. But as we're experiencing now, as we're all discussing, like, God, the variance is insane. When you just if everybody tries to hunt you down, right, it, it can get pretty messy. Yeah, yeah. Number five, not value, bet not value betting enough. Yes, sir. Yeah, I've heard some people have said that's like the difference. That's where your whole win rate is. Like good pros know how to get thin value on the river. It's the whole thing. In, uh, fact, yeah. in fact, I got owned one time in a game because the guy knew I was just like a low to mid stakes cash grinder and he knew I was value betting too thinly on the river because that's the only way you can make a win rate in those games. And the guy like turned his third pair into a bluff. 
because it looked exactly like a backdoor flush draw. And right after I folded, this was in some like big tournament in Vegas. The guy like showed me my hand. He's like, you thinly value bet like an ace with like a four kicker, huh? Bad move, right? And like there was nothing I could do because the guy just owned my soul, right? That's where the whole like turning hands into bluffs becomes a big thing. But I, you don't have to turn a hand into a bluff most of the time at low stakes because nobody's value betting thinly enough. It's just top pair, top kicker are better or they're missed draws. That's it. And a lot of guys get sick of betting their missed draws. So it's just top pair, top kicker are not, uh, are better. Right. Yeah. yeah the, the amateurs, I mean, everybody hates it. Hates getting, uh, getting betting for value and getting raised on the river and having to fold because it's the worst feeling on earth. And the one, it only takes being shown a bluff once to get a guy to never do that for the rest of his life, just to check back with the hand and show the goods. Cause it feels oh so good to show everybody how well you played and to just scoop that pot and to not have to worry about anything. Sure. Yeah. But you only get raised probably 15% of the time or something. So the vast majority of the time it's a bet. It's really hard to find out in cash games, like what the percentage is. But every time I try to track it, it's really low, like even lower than 15%. It's only once you start moving up. Well, and then you'll get to guys who actually know what they're doing. It's way north of that. If they know you're a reg and you're thinly value betting or you could bet as a bluff or whatever it may be. But yeah, typically people are not. It's really hard to catch people bluffing. As you said, paying off nut peddlers. (laughs) Turns out a lot of people are nut peddlers. They don't want to feel bad about themselves. Getting caught with a bluff is like a, oh, look at you trying moment at most uh, cash games around the world. So they end up just value betting. We pay them off. It's hard to catch people bluffing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think all the time about this, uh, how important, you know, especially we're talking about the low stakes cash, like, you know, balance. Like, oh, yeah. I, I'm always like, I mean, I definitely bluff a fair amount and I'll show my bluffs too. And I'm like, there's guys I play with, you know, pros who don't seem to bluff at all and they get paid as frequently as I do. Right, exactly. It just never comes up. Like I, I literally in this video series, I show like six bluffs and I go, okay, guys, that's pretty much it. Like just letting you know, those are the six I use most of the time. Like it's a, it's a great day of the year if I feel like a triple barrel bluff is going to work. But the truth is, most people fold on the flop when they don't have a pair. And after they've called with that pair, they really do not want to fold on Turner River. You can make a very good living gambling on, especially Americans not folding their pairs post-flop in no limit hold'em. And you could really lose a lot of money trying to get the average no limit hold'em player to fold a pair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that happens a lot for me yeah, yeah exactly and it, there's no need to balance because they just call you anyway right it's one of those things like oh it, don't bet 2x the size of the pot on this river with the nuts because it'd be so obvious to this guy or it could be so easily understood that you only do that with big hands and it's like really this guy right here you know billy <laughs> like you think Billy's gonna catch that right or who whatever the guy's name is well I, my buddy Barry always makes the same point which is after a hand at the table and he plays a lot in the UK and the United States you could pass out a survey to every player at the table after a random hand and he believes seven out of nine of them wouldn't know the action and wouldn't know what happened with what hand where he really believes that and I the more I think of it I'm like yeah that's probably right especially 
how many TVs there are in the typical card room, how much people are talking with each other between tables. Smartphones. Oh, the phone. The phone, yeah. the the phone is a huge one now. The big one that I've seen in the last five to seven years. is. Like, That's the big one, man. Yeah. People are watching fucking movies <laughs> on their phone. I saw a kid, uh, some kid was talking a lot of smack uh, in Vegas and he was watching anime on his phone. And I was just thinking, like, how are you going to do that, dude? Like, that there's a i have converted tournaments where i totally should not have cashed into caches because i caught one guy bluffing based on one hand at the beginning of the day it's of course it's the most draining thing in the world to watch every hand there is and that's why people struggle with it but you got to get through that did you see that new espn article that chess masters burn like six thousand calories a day have you ever seen that No. no No, it was some new thing when you're expanding, or excuse me, uh, using mental energy, it apparently burns some absurd number of calories. And it, it's weird because I used to be, I'm about six feet tall. I used to be 150 pounds when I was playing poker six, 60 hours a week. And I always wondered how that happened because I ate terrible back then, maybe not as much as uh, some other times, but it, it's really, it's just so draining to pay attention to every hand. So I think what most people do is yeah just the smartphones the tv talking to their friends not paying attention and yeah so i don't think you need to balance nearly as much as many people seem to think you have to especially if you're playing two three maybe two five you got to start working it in but i I would never even think of it at one three one two unless i'm playing with some guy i just see all the time just quickly to your point of how draining like the thinking is that that's often a decision i make uh if I'm going to stay late or not. Yeah. Like if there's a couple of good pros there, I'm like, okay, not only, you know, it's 1 a.m. Not only am I physically tired, I know my fatigue will increase because I'm going to have people playing at me and I'm going to have to constantly be thinking. Exactly. That's actually, the action. That's a damn good point. Right. So yeah, especially if you got a guy to your left, it's much different than if the pros on the other side of the table. So maybe you'll, yeah, if you got the whale somewhere closer to you at the table, but you got the pro like ways away, you might chance it for a bit. But if it, you got the pros to your left, you're just like, screw it. This is just going to piss me off at some point. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, I'm also just glimpsing at the future. I'm already, you know, I'm 49 years old. And like, even if I, the little things when you get older, uh, you know, people are you're tired after a lot of sessions. I think it's just... Um, yeah, pr- the mental energy is is, is oh god, yeah, is, is just gonna be hard to keep up. You know what I mean? I think. Oh god, yeah, man, I feel it. Unless you, I, unless you absolutely love the game, which I don't. Got to be honest. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the problem. No, I mean, I, I absolutely love the game, and I, I, I'll play tournament poker for three days, and I feel like a, I, I, I come home and I just sit around for two days, three days, like I got the flu or something. It's so hard to pay attention to all the different stacks and everything, and when you're they have this thing. I don't follow esports, but they talk about an esports like when a guy's like 27, he's washed up, right? Like, ah, oh, he's too old. He can't play computer games anymore. And when I first heard that, I went, what? That can't be right. I'm surely some of them are good. But now I'm just 32. And when I'm playing, there'll still be like, I play like a long session now. I feel it. Like I am just crapping out, right? And especially if I eat something bad. I just can't play like the next day. It's just like, well, uh, I, I got to, if I'm playing cash, it's like, I guess I can't play today. I got to go work on something with the business because like my focus just isn't there. And when I'm playing tournaments, 
it's so annoying now. I can't, I have to eat so much better than I used to because otherwise the focus just wanes, right? And you can't drink as much coffee because it'll burn you out. It's a, you don't think of poker as a physical thing, but it can really burn you out quickly if you're not managing it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. This is why everybody's doing all their meditation and do it while they're doing those pushups in the morning. Yeah, exactly. Everybody says they're doing it, but that stuff's pretty hard to do. It it always makes you wonder, right? But yeah, anyway, you got to look the part at some point. Anyway, what's the next one on the list or did we get it? Uh, I think that was it. Not enough value betting. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I I think it's going to be a good series. Like I said, I only watched the, the, uh, the first hour. Have you already started your next series, man? You're just such a fountain of energy here. I'm wondering what you're. <laughs> no, I think that's it for a while, man. I'm okay. not doing a new series. It's uh, just working on the list. I'm trying to play more. It's uh, I, I just want to play more. You know, I would never call myself a professional anymore because that's unfair to guys like you who are still in the trenches. Right. And like, you know what I mean? That's just not fair. That's uh, I, it used to really piss me off when a guy would call himself a pro and he'd be so poised and, it, he always seemed like he knew the answer. And then like 20 months after you met the guy, he goes, oh yeah, I'm a programmer, you know, four days out of the week. And it's like, well, obviously you're not worried about any of this. I'm like, and I've been taking your advice as like gospel, right? But no, I, I would never call myself a pro again because that's not fair to the guys in the trenches, like really having to go at it. But I, God, I've just been playing a lot more lately. And it's just uh, so online. Much yeah, online, uh, typically not as much tournament poker. And uh, I do try to get out to some WPTs every year, the WCP main event, uh, and just some of these smaller tournaments, you know, uh, just trying to get out to like Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, DC, uh, Baltimore, Montreal, a lot of these places around here where it's just newer markets, right? So you'll see things like I, <laughs> in Philadelphia, I was just loving it. First guy opens under the gun, 5-8 suited, middle position calls with ace-8 off. I squeezed to like 21x with ace queen off, both call, obviously. <laughs> Board comes like 8-5 brick. I check back. Um, anyway, they, you know, they kind of give each other a conspirat- conspiratorial look after the pod is over. Like, ha, we got him. And I'm just, <laughs> is this 2020? Are you serious? And then, of course, I see stuff like that. And I'm like, I got to get out and play. I got to get out and play. But yeah. Is there going to be a casino in uh, New York soon? I, I remember that was always something that was discussed when I was out in the East Coast. I haven't, that, because so much money leaves the city going to yes, Foxwoods, Atlantic City and stuff. I'm sure, obviously, there's enough people there to support a big they casino. They are so, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, it, it, it cut out a little bit on my end. They are so broke. I would be shocked that it didn't happen. You know what I mean? Like, they're always talking about the budget shortfalls and stuff like that, right? And they're, they're this close. I, I think the last time online poker was on the ballot, if I'm not mistaken, it missed by one ballot. So that's going to be, it, you would assume that's going to happen very soon. And then I think pot is decriminalized already here. So like you'll walk down the street, you smell it all the time. The cops don't care about it. So that's going to be legalized like nothing here pretty soon. They're trying to make money. And yeah, if you put like even a tiny casino in Midtown, you could put any taxes you wanted on that thing. They'd still cover it. But yeah, it keeps getting closer and closer, right? It used to be you had to go to Atlantic City. That was two and a half hours. Then upstate New York, like an hour away, they opened those spots. And I think the closest one now 
is even less than an hour away. So it's just, it's amazing what it does to the cities. Like if you, have you guys been to Atlantic city recently? No, no, not wow, in probably over a decade. Yeah, that place has changed. Okay. <laughs> uh, they're making that, a comeback there. Yeah. They're uh, the hard rock is open and that's actually a pretty nice venue. But like, uh, you think about it, Atlantic City used to be the Vegas, it used to be Vegas with a beach. If you wanted to gamble on the East Coast, that was pretty much your only option. And sure. then, you, you know, you open up Boston, you open up Foxwoods, you open up Washington, D.C., you open up Baltimore, you open up Philadelphia. No one's got to travel anymore, right? Like, yeah. so uh, Atlantic City has seen just like half their properties closed, but it's, it's really crazy walking the boardwalk and you'll see like these 75-story palatial hotels just burned out like hmm. nothing and broken down it's really it's it's bizarre man it's a trip uh, yeah i'm stunned that these casinos and card rooms keep going up i'm like isn't there, isn't there just not enough money for them i think i could be wrong i don't know if you ever played at foxwoods before nope haven't uh, i mean that they were very you know they were the biggest card room ever when they first came out i mean that's how they advertised themselves anyways and they were oh, always big and last time I was there, like I said, the win Boston, I think, has to be the end for them. But uh, I could be wrong. All that, a lot of people, you know, from New England were always coming down there. And now that place is, is big. But uh, last time I went to Foxwoods, is a few months ago, I got off the plane and drove down there. And um, there were like 12 1 2 games going and nothing else. Wow. Hmm. You, you talk about how th this is like a wet dream for the house, I guess, because every single dollar staying there. Really? <laughs> But I forget. I mean, it might have been like a Wednesday night wasn't busy. They're like, oh, don't worry. That game usually starts around 8 p.m. or something like that. But I, I just got the hell out of there. Well, uh, remember so. when Foxwoods originally on the World Poker Tour, I think it was Nick Shulman won their major. And it was like $2 million sure. back then. It was a $10,000 buy-in and everybody showed up for it. Now, uh, they haven't been a WPT stop. And I haven't watched the World Poker Tour in like eight years or something. But I assume that's not a stop anymore or anything with any affiliation right and it's just it is amazing how much these things change so rapidly and yeah you wonder i wonder what the end game is that's is that what you're curious about like in five ten years what's the end game going to be on the east coast yeah I, I i guess um i'm just curious i mean like i said it'd be great if there was a card room in new york if you live there but then don't yeah. Don't a bunch of people in Philly, don't a bunch of people at Parks lose their jobs? I mean, like, yeah. it just seems like. Yeah, it's a, at some point it's going to hurt a lot of people. Well, that's, that goes into the whole uh, political topic, right? There's, a, there, there's the economy is supposed to add like a million jobs per year. And like for 10 years that hasn't happened. So there's a whole lot more people gambling than there used to be. And there's a, you're trying to create jobs and maybe they're not being created in the gambling sector. But yeah, it just gets into some territory where it's like, man, this is getting nuts really quick. It's, it's really bizarre growing up, like playing cards in everything just to see the entire United States embrace marijuana and casinos like nothing, like overnight. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> like used to be, you had to go to Vegas. Vegas was the one spot. Now it's like Detroit, North Carolina, Texas has card rooms now. Arizona has talking sticks. Turning Stone is still a thing. Isn't Turning Stone in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, right? that's, that's North New York, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. Isn't that a dry casino too? That was the, what always blew my mind. Like, or do they serve alcohol there? I can't remember. 
I, I, I don't, don't know. know. I, I did actually go there once like seven or eight years ago, but I yeah, can't. I, yeah, I went forever ago too. But yeah, and it, you look at like Sacramento's built up now. California's built up. Portland has card rooms now, right? It's yeah. just like- We just had two guys on the show last, uh, last week from uh, Oregon. Oh yeah? How are yeah. they saying the action is? Uh, they said it was phenomenal. They talked yeah. about low rakes. Like you walk into the casino, give, give them 15 bucks and play as long as you want and they don't pull a rake on the pot. <laughs> Man, I gotta move to Portland now. Right? I like, I like <laughs> what? I like Portland. I don't know. Portland. Carlos Welch and Low Rake. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. You can deal. You can deal with the rain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's right. It's uh, yeah. Without going into details about that part of the country, it still worries me. Like Portland, Seattle. Have you guys been to Seattle lately? No. No. It's uh. Yeah, the golden age is over in Seattle, man. And Portland had a little of that too. You just worry about the homeless in these cities. That would be the one downside in Portland. It's like, is this place safe? Like I, I had a guy like following me and like cussing me out in Portland. That was, the, it was, uh, that was pretty bizarre to see just someone like being violently against me for no, right. I was just walking with my donut, man. I didn't know I did anything. It, that's the homeless like i deal with them all the time at work it's they probably make up 30 percent of my uh, emergency calls and uh, like you, you got to look God. at them as like they're all on drugs or they have some type of schizophrenia and you just never know what they're going to do at any time right you know? and can, like uh, sometimes they're completely harmless other times they're just freaking crazy <laughs> you just you got to be yeah, careful yeah it is kind of funny like you said at most um yeah, I remember one comedy writer was talking about the homeless issue. This was years ago, but saying basically, if you put these guys in a home, half or so crazy, they'll jump out the window and half or so drugged out, they'll be crapping on the floor. Yep. Right. It's, it's uh, not like you just like the homeless issue is like a mental health and an addiction issue. So, yeah, well, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's uh, you said 30% of your calls were, were dealing with them even if the family is asking you to bring them home so they can get treatment, you guys legally can't bring them, right? Because they have to make those choices of their own volition. You can't d get them any psychiatric services. Is that right? That's pretty accurate. I mean, they just don't, they, they don't even, they were going to open up a giant, uh, uh, the city bought, the city I work in bought a giant, um, uh, what used to be an old uh, thrift store, like a Goodwill. And they were just going to put them in there like, right across the street from my station i'm like oh thanks <laughs> that's like a call and a half a day right there minimum right <laughs> are you kidding me anyways it fell through thank god uh but it, it they just have no solution for this you know what i mean like they they're literally pitching tents <laughs> like you go down to los angeles and they're pitching tents underneath it's it's like homeless alley but it you used know, to be it used to be there used to be anti-vagrancy laws, which is really how it's just. And, and you, the cops can't do that anymore. I right. Don't you, don't have, you don't actually have a right to sleep on the street. What yeah. I, well, they, they do now. I mean, they, they have tents <laughs> literally in the middle of our park in the center of the city. It's, it's just like, this is ridiculous. Uh, I read something that it used to be the psychiatric wards were essentially uh, subsidized by all the people who had clinical depression before SSRIs were a big thing. And they just didn't know how to treat people with depression. So if you think of all the people who have depression today, imagine they couldn't get treatment back in the 60s and 70s. And you have a psychiatric ward and you had a lot of financial support because the families would come in and help out and pay something while this person got better. And eventually they'd rejoin society. So they were subsidizing uh, people with schizophrenia and whatnot. And then the SSRIs came in and shut down a lot of these hospitals for lack of 
this is what I heard. I don't know if this is true, but that started causing it so that it was more of a freak occurrence that somebody actually needed hospitalization due to mental illness. You can't so, be institutionalized if there's no institutions. Yeah, exactly. There's no institutions. And it didn't come up that often for a little while. And now, uh, <laughs> woo boy, is it coming up? <laughs> yeah, it's politically incorrect to talk about, but um, not to get into, you know, I, I lived in, I lived in uh, Newtown, right where the shooting was. Oh boy. Of all the kids, you know, it was like a mile away from it. But in Newtown, uh, abandoned, we used to have like two, you know, ma like massive mental institutions, which really? had been closed down through all the legal things, like you said, like 30 or 40 years ago. And like what I always said about this kid, it's not, he shouldn't have access to guns. He shouldn't have access to people. <laughs> he should like he should have been locked up and throw away the key. I hate to be insensitive. I mean, you have your nice do-gooding lawyers running around making sure there's no cruelty. Right. But if you're, you know, when you're 20 years old and re if you refuse to speak to another human being, including your mother, uh -huh. you know, if you're staring murderously with just getting a haircut at the barber, it's like people, you know, we don't, this isn't really, society doesn't have to endure this, I don't think. But, you know, that's just my own. Right. No, I, I'm I completely agree. There's got to be some giant place we can, we can put them where they're not. <laughs> we went on a call the other day for the homeless guy punching himself in the face in the middle of the street. Like, the hell am I going to do? <laughs> they need, I know they need help. Like, what are, do you have their social security numbers memorized at this point? Because it's the same guys calling in every time. Oh, we, we, we got our, we got our, our regulars, uh, yeah. almost Daniel. Yeah. When you're punching himself, do you bring him a, do you bring him a, bring him an 18 ounce glove and just say, here, go ahead. Just, you know, this will hurt less. Yeah. <laughs> God. Uh, yeah, and the cops, like, they don't even really know what to do with it. Like, they could take him to jail overnight or something. Okay, so he can't smoke his crack pipe until the morning, but you let him out and he just goes right back to doing it. You know, I don't, I don't no, know. It's not, it's not you, up to you guys. You're not mental health professionals. Like, no, uh-uh. Right? No. Well, what I keep being told is a lot of these people's families want to bring them home, but the person who's clearly off their meds or using a substance goes, you know, I want to keep living on the street. And there's just nothing you can do at that point. And you, I, I, I don't know all the details, but that makes it really sad because I'm sure a lot of these people, if they could get better, even after a couple of weeks, they might go like, oh my God, thank you for coming and getting me out. But instead it's just like six years and then they pass unceremoniously. Yeah, it. I have seen briefly. Um, sometimes we'll go on calls where the homeless people are at the family's house, and uh, it sounds like they're trying to do like get clean or something, but they haven't been, and so the family oh. calls us, and now we got to take them to the hospital, and they're just right back on the pipe. Good yeah. times. You it, got any uh, of those calls on Christmas? Yeah, <laughs> surprisingly <laughs> a lot. Yeah, I to come home. I uh, I took a class uh, on um, basically how to be ready for uh, uh, meth labs, you know, so when you walk into a house, because we go to, you know, 10 calls a shift that uh, in some house you've never been in before and how to recognize when you've walked into a meth lab and look for trip wires and also, you know, get out of there before the fumes get you and, and stuff like that. One thing the guy said was he talked about um, uh, crystal meth. And it was interesting. He said that 33%, a third of all people that try meth, uh, they become addicted to it for their life and eventually it kills them. So just that one hit, you know, a, a third of them, all of them turn into a zombie 
and eventually kills him a few, le- few years later. You know, that stuff is just radical. Um, and then you that. have these people that are just pitching a tent out on the street, and that's, it's, it's dangerous, I think. Yeah, that's disturbing. Well, and if you want to get even more disturbed, there's this new book called Fentanyl Inc. They got call centers in China set up just to ship you your fentanyl now, right? Like it's, wow. uh, it, it is on. And a lot of these like synthetic drugs, uh, you know what a meth lab smells like, looks like. You don't know what these synthetic drugs smell like, look like. You don't know what you're walking into, right? Yeah. Actually, you might not want to read that book. It's pretty terrifying. But <laughs> the, more, the more I think of your profession and how many houses you're going to, or maybe you do. It's, uh, it's fascinating to read where all this stuff started. Well, it's just, it's, it's so bananas now. Like even kids in high school uh, with synthetic marijuana and stuff like that, it's like the stuff that gets you 100 times higher. And you just have kids like overdosing and having strokes and whatnot. And all the stuff comes from China and it says it's not our, I don't know if it comes from China, but a lot of it does. And it says not for human consumption and people still just take it. Yeah. You're just like, what is, you get lots of weirder calls, right? How long you been doing the job and how weird have the calls been getting? Oh, uh, I'm, I'm coming up on 20 years. Um, yeah, there's some strange ones. It, yeah. You know, people ask me this all the time, and I try to uh, uh, think of some ones. And as soon as we get off the phone, then then I'm gonna have like 900. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's how it always works. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, people's calls for the strangest shit. You know, uh, uh, I went to an owl in a basketball hoop the other day. Uh, <laughs> in a flowing toilet. Uh, a lot of cats in the trees. Um, so oh, birds, it, birds in a tree. Uh, that's that's always a good one. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Yeah, like mo- a lot of the calls are just BS, right? A lot of yeah, yeah. Every yeah, now and then, you know, you get uh, uh, you get some uh, legit uh, emergencies, right? Uh, but, right. Uh, yeah, just a bunch of a bird in a tree. I'm like, well, where the hell are they supposed to be? <laughs> <laughs> it turned out to be a parrot, you know, somebody's uh, pet. Oh, but still, oh. I, I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, they got to be a little bit more specific with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Right. If we wanted to knock out Saddam Hussein, we could have just like, you know, CIA get some fentanyl in his yeah. in his orange juice or whatever. You know what I mean? Well, no, yeah. It, that's what, uh, if you guys follow Scott Adams, uh, it, Scott Adams always talks about that. Like a very small amount of fentanyl in the water supply. Like they're, it's on, it's over. Right. <laughs> and yeah, they talk about that. And it's, uh, boy, this took on a cheerful uh, <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I think there's a famous. Uh, the British did that to the Chinese. Was it the 19th century? Yes, they did. They, have you heard of, heard about this? They fought a couple wars, and there's the famous. A lot cheaper than bringing all the soldiers in. They like introduced heroin. Yeah. It was, oh yeah. And Hope like you know the famous like there's some dispatch from some British general. He's like China is asleep. <laughs> Or, you know what I mean? Like that, that really cut down on some of the political unrest. You just have half the people walking around in a druggy haze and a certain level, I guess that's the beneficial side of drugs. Maybe Yeah, keeps, it keeps a few people from joining neo-Nazi groups or anti antifa groups. Maybe, I don't know. There's two <laughs> countries on earth where there are no laws against the distribution, growth, consumption of cannabis. And one is Uruguay and the second is North Korea. Now, why do you think North Korea wants everybody high? Because, I mean, if you stop to think about it, you're in 
North Korea, right? And that really gets up in your head. So yeah, you're right. They've been using drugs to get the populace. Now, obviously, if you're going to pick a drug, that one's probably the tamest. Right. But, but uh, yeah, you just, uh, it's trippy once you get into it. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Well, thank you, Alex. Um, this uh, program, your uh, master small stakes cash game in one class, uh, you've got it on special now for uh, for two weeks, just for our listeners. It's going to be uh, on sale until February 21st. Uh, normally, it's uh, 800 if I'm not mistaken, and we're That's slashing right. it 75% for our listeners down to um, uh, down to 200, right? Yes, sir. Right on. Awesome. And uh, we still have for another two weeks. We've got uh, master tournament poker in one class, basically the same principle as your uh, cash game. Uh, but your cash game is uh, about uh, three or four times as much uh, content. Just an awesome, awesome program. I've gone through the uh, tournament uh, uh, program probably three or four times. Really good. Uh, Going to go through it again before this uh, WSOP. And uh, your cash game program was uh, spot on as well. So thank you, man. Um, you can click on the link in the show notes. It'll take you straight there. And use our code like we use for everything else, Poker, to see that discount just entered in and click down. And um, yeah, you'll, uh, you'll like it a lot. It's a, it's a great, uh, great program, just like everything you put out, Alex. So keep up the good work, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. And for everybody listening, uh, click on the button, I want this, and then it'll give you a section where you put the promo code. And then, yeah, just enter it there and it'll change the price. But that's where you should be entering it. And, uh, yeah, totally happy to be on here. This was fun. Yeah, it was fun. And don't forget your uh, three, your uh, free three-hour uh, training pack. I'm going to go over that tonight. I'm excited about it. I haven't, uh, uh, haven't seen that one yet. So it, uh, that is exciting. But, um, yeah, thank you for coming on the show, Alex. And uh, thanks for coming on, Mikey. And of uh, you guys got anything else? If not, then... Um, Wrap it up. Uh, yeah, that's about it, I think. Uh, Alex, are we going to see you in Vegas or main event only? Uh, or? Yeah, I'll be at the main event, hopefully a little bit more, but we'll see. And uh, uh, go to pokerheadrush.com, everybody, if uh, you want to sign up for the newsletter. And that'll give you the free pack as well if you go there. The welcome email will give it to you. Right on. Good deal. Good deal. Yeah, I'm on your newsletter. I love those things. You know, you get five to 15 minutes worth of content uh, every day on something new. It's, it's good. Keep it up. Thank you, sir. Right Will do. And thank you for tuning in. Here is your weekly motivational speech. It is not the things we do in life that we regret on our deathbed. It is the things we do not. We don't beat the reaper by living longer. We beat the reaper by living well and living fully. For the reaper will come for all of us. The question is, what do we do between the time we're born and the time he shows up? You can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. Because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path and that will make all the difference. And you will need to find your passion. Many of you have already done it, many of you will later, many of you may take till your 30s or 40s, but don't give up on finding it. 
right? Because then all you're doing is waiting for the 